I'm super thrilled to pick your brain and have you on because verbal judo has been so influential in the development of my communication skills, both as a human, a husband, a professional, and in one of the areas that's been most applicable is on the basketball court as a referee. And I've been consistently sharing pieces and guidelines from your book, so thank you so much. So for the people who aren't familiar, could you talk about what the art of verbal judo is and how it can help everyone improve as a communicator? Sure, Paul. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Um, you know, as you know, judo um, is an is unarmed combat that involves using leverage to to unbalance your opponent. And in much the same way, verbal judo uses words as leverage to to counter your opponent and take charge of the tone of the discussion. So the goal naturally is to de-escalate it from anger to rationality. So it becomes a win-win. And just like ancient sacred writings teach that soft answer, a soft answer turns away wrath, that's the very definition of verbal judo. Uh, someone comes at you red-faced, huffing and puffing, and says, what the H is wrong with you? Your natural tendency is to fight fire with fire. You might say, what's your problem? You want a piece of me? Uh, but a verbal judo response would be soft and quiet and conciliatory. And notice I'm not saying it's weak or meek or namby-pamby. Rather, it'd be something like, tell me what's got you upset and let's see how we can fix it. Um, the, the, the brainchild behind verbal judo was a man named George Thompson, who was a, actually uh, had a PhD in, in English literature, but he was a cop and a rough and tumble guy. He was about 6'2", 210, uh, great athlete, great racquetball player. Um, and he was kind of a, a quick on the trigger guy. Um, and didn't practice verbal judo for many years. When he was a cop, he, he fought fire with fire and responded that way. Um, but a, as he learned this and practiced it, he taught cops all over the world how to, to, to use verbal judo. Now, in your case, on the court, um, I can see a coach might scream at you, giving you, as you say, give you a lot of crap. Um, you can't look weak, but neither does it pay to lower yourself to the coach's level and scream back. I remember from early in my days as a sports writer, I was covering a high school game in the Chicago area. There was a legendary coach who was really hard on refs, and he liked to intimidate him. And his trademark was when he would fall behind or, or he didn't like the way the calls were going, he would call time and loudly tell his assistant coach, take the team, implying that he's willing to get kicked out for the satisfaction of telling the ref what he really thinks. Then he would loudly berate the ref, hoping everybody could could hear him. And his intention, of course, was to make him think twice before making close calls that would go against his team. So one night he tried this on a savvy ref, and I'm sitting at the press table there and uh, could hear the whole conversation. And... Uh, the official immediately gave him his complete attention, full eye contact, even put a hand on the coach's shoulder. And uh, the coach hollers for everybody to hear, this is some of the worst officiating I've seen all year. And the ref just said quietly, I may be having an off night, coach, but if my calls have been worse than your strategy, you'd be down by more than nine. And how about we both promise to do better? The coach laughed and said, you're doing a heck of a job. Keep it up. So that's verbal judo. That's an example of verbal judo. 
you know, in this business, we deal with a lot of negativity. As you said, take a lot of crap. How do we take the crap with dignity, grace, and style? Well, I think you answer an angry coach with respect and civility. And you'll always be seen as the bigger man or, or woman. Um, you're almost always guaranteed to de-escalate the conflict. Whenever you see people shouting at each other, it's the one who who keeps the calmest that gets the most respect. And, of course, in the case of a ref, it's sort of like being a cop. In the end, you have the authority and you have the power. Uh, you can, in a sense, make an arrest if you need to. You can, you can call a foul and, and make it stick. You can throw a coach out if you have to. You don't want to do that. But my advice would be to never respond in kind. You never say calm down or that's enough or shut up. Rather, use phrases like, I hear you, coach. I understand. I get why you're upset. And I've seen really good refs say things like, I don't want to run you any more than you want to be run. So work with me and don't force me to do that. That gives the angry person something to do that will result in a positive outcome. He can save face and, uh, and it becomes a win-win. You mentioned never saying calm down. What are some other things that we should never say to anyone? Well, Dr. Thompson wanted me to put in the book 11 things that to never say to anybody. And, and uh, he said in the chapter title, let's call it 11 things never to say to anyone and how to respond if some idiot says them to you, <laughs> um, which would not be a great verbal judo thing to say out loud. But uh, some of the things he had in there were things like come here. With cops, a lot of times you, you're demanding somebody come over and and, uh, and face you. But he said, what what it really sounds like is go away. And uh, you know, you so you what you want to do is invite them, not not command them. Um, he says, don't use things like because those are the rules, or it's none of your business. Mm. Um, what do you want me to do about it? Mm. Calm down is a big one because. We often do that. Somebody's all excited and shouting and getting carried away, and we say, calm down. It's the last thing they want to do. It makes them do anything but calm down. Um, you never want to say, what's your problem? Mm. Or, I'm doing this for your own good. Mm. Or, I'm not going to say this again. Um, or or demand somebody, you know, say to somebody, why don't you be reasonable? Those things are all triggers that are only going to escalate and make the guy matter. And uh, Thompson was really great once he, he caught on to this and learned it, um, to really say to, to somebody, what can I do right now to make this problem go away? What, what can I do to help the situation right now? And uh, somebody that just wants to scream and yell has nowhere to go with that except to to tone things down and, and uh, start getting reasonable. You know, under the umbrella of sports, and particularly in the game of basketball, partic- participants are under the influence of emotion, which can cause delusion, irrational behavior, and in our field, one of the terms is unsportsmanlike conduct. How do we better communicate with these individuals without shaming, blaming, or manipulating? Well, I think the... The most powerful word in the English language is empathy. Um, Dr. Thompson said the M is from Latin, meaning to see through, and pathy is from the Greek, meaning through the eye of the other. In short, it means understanding where the other person's coming from. So I think if you can can um, try to see where the where the, a coach is coming from, or whoever's screaming. Sometimes you have to even deal with the fans, um, but when they're 
out of control and being irrational, um, you want to get to the heart of it. And the heart of it is they're not happy with how things are going and they want, they have to blame somebody. Um, once you know that, you know that what they want is for things to turn and they're not going to turn if they get thrown out of the game or if, or if you're yelling back at them. So um, as much as you can see the, the problem through their eyes, um, you're going to help de-escalate the situation. And then ask them to repeat what they've said. I think it's really encouraging to people when they know that you're really listening and you want to know uh, exactly what they said and that you want to hear um, specifically what they mean. And then re- paraphrase it back to them. So what you're saying is this, summarize it, and, and uh, as he says, you'll take a giant leap in communication that way. One of the factors that stops people from pursuing officiating is the scrutiny and the constant comments and questioning about our decisions. People always telling us that we made the wrong call. What advice could you give to help us absorb the criticism? You know, you can see that as an opportunity. Um, a, a lot of times we get defensive because we, we want to say, um, you know, I know the rules and I know um, what the infraction was and so I have to enforce it. That's my job. That explains it, but it doesn't de-escalate the, the anger. Um, George Thompson said when he was a young cop, people would say, why do I have to do this? What's the point of this? And he would say, because I said so, and I'm in charge here. Mm. And uh, he had to learn, he said he learned the hard way because he got in trouble for for uh, uh, taking the hard road with everybody. And his chief called him in and said, you know, you got you to gotta start over and, and be persuasive. And um, so he decided to take it as an opportunity to take them seriously. And he said he realized he was the same kind of guy. He's a difficult person and personality, and he always wanted to know why did why he had to do things. So he said, when people asked, he would tell them very specifically, um, "Here's why I'm going to insist that you do this, and here's why it's good for you." Um, so, especially a good ref is going to know uh, the rules, and the, the more you know, the, the higher you go, as you know. And um, um, if you can explain it. They can, they can get it, and, and again, you're de-escalating the anger. One of the things we say as officials is don't call it unless you can explain it. Mm. <laughs> so, That's great. In order to be great communicators in this space, you're required to think on your feet, and we have to be prepared to provide an answer with the snap of the fingers, naturally and organically. How do we use verbal judo to generate that automatic response anytime? Well, I think it's it's being able to um, to diagnose what's going on. You, um, you you watch for body language, you listen for tone of voice, um, you watch for that red face, you watch the respiration, how they're breathing, and and how that heart's pounding. Um, immediately uh, assess the level and decide what's the best way to bring this down a notch or two or three, as far as humanly possible. Um, Dr. Thompson always said he, he divided opponents into three types, the nice, the difficult, and the wimp. Mm. And the, ni- the nice were the cooperative ones, the easy ones. The difficult ones were always demanding to know why, and he said he identified with them. Mm-hmm. It, but, he, but he said the wimps are the pretenders. They pretend to be nice, but they're the ones that are going to get you in trouble later, stab you in the back, talk about you behind your back. Knowing who you're dealing with gives you a huge advantage. Mm. 
You know, when I think about the word ego, I assume we're describing someone who's cocky and braggadocious, but your book dive deeper into different ways that our ego can hurt us. One of the big vulnerabilities for us as officials is showing our ego. If we do, we lose. We all have egos to some extent. So what are some strategies to help make sure our ego doesn't get exposed? Well, when you when you uh, speak, you're a mouthpiece. You're a representative of what? For a referee, it's of the game of basketball. It's uh, you're, a, you're a representative of the rules. You're a representative of officiating. So you're speaking not on behalf of your own ego, but on behalf of the fraternity of referees. The more ego you display, the less power you possess. Every time you fail in this, you fail the sport and your comrades. So Dr. Thompson talked about three the three great communication arts, and the first was representation, and that's that's really the definition of it. Getting your ego out of the way, representing your boss, your superiors, your sport, you know, as I say, the fraternity of, of referees. Um, so that, that goes a long way. Yeah, I think the other two... Uh, other two great communication arts that he was referring to are translation. That's the ability to put what you say in the most proper, fitting, assertive, and powerful words possible. So the bottom line is you do whatever's necessary to avoid misunderstanding, all the while trying to, to bring the, the volume down. Um, that takes humility. Um, obviously, the, the opposite of, of ego is humility. Um, and if you see a, a ref that has authority, he has power, but he doesn't have ego. And, and we've, we've seen this. You see it a lot in baseball where there are certain umpires who bait the players and, and a player will turn around, give them a look, and, and the umpire will, will start in on them and try to, to get them provoked, which is obviously the, the opposite of what you want to do. So uh, George says the, the, uh, this tra- translation communication art is so important you do this in, in three ways number one by knowing what you're talking about number two you use code words that enhance the meaning and don't enhance your ego and number three you send your message effectively by doing it at the right volume with the right facial expression and even with the right body language so when you see somebody coming at you with the opposites of those uh, you're the calm one you're the you're the one that's going to um, meet that wrath with a soft answer and then the third uh, great communication art he talks about is mediation mediators i'm sorry mediators are the ones who go between making peace allowing people to see things in new ways so they can make sense with a new perspective George tells a story about uh, talking down a guy in an alley. He was a big guy, much bigger than George. He had a broken bottle, and he was coming at him. And and George said, uh, you know, what are you going to do? And the guy said, you know, he's going to tear him up. And he said, you, you look like a little wimp. I can handle you. And George said he was alone at the time. He called for backup, but he had to face this guy. And uh, he said he decided he would just agree with him. He said, you're right. You could probably take me out. You could probably kill me. But all you've got going so far is you 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 messed up a bar, tipped over some tables. That's a misdemeanor. Huh. You could pay a $30 fine and be back home tomorrow for dinner. But if you hurt me, now you've got a felony. And so he just basically used reasoning, huh. talked the guy down, and he said, you know, give me a break. Don't hurt me. 
and I'll cut you some slack, and, and I'll pretend I never saw that bottle. And so the guy, he said the guy looked down at the bottle and just basically like he was surprised to see it himself, tossed it away, and he said, yeah, I don't need that kind of trouble. That's a mediator. And um, so he changes a misdemeanor, changes a felony to a, to a, uh, a misdemeanor and, and uh, became a mediator in that situation. That's terrific because um, these are critical moments here in a life-or-death situation, and you know, these are the choice words that he's using. That's why when I read the book, I knew it would definitely transform to being on the basketball court, and it definitely has. Right. You know, with coaches, it seems like we're always listening, and they're always the ones talking and initiating the conversation. Sometimes we have to know when to stop listening and start playing offense. What is the only way to interrupt people and still have them respect you? Well, the, the best way is to have it appear that you've really heard them and then insisting that you want to know if you're correct. So you can say, whoa, let me be sure I heard you right. You're saying, and then you're paraphrasing it, um, you know, you feel like more calls are going uh, against you than for you, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and even though you're not necessarily going to agree with him, you're going to say, I'm trying to call the game fair, and uh, you know, let's get, give each other, cut each other some slack, um, they're listening now. Because people want to hear what they've said, they, even if you're the one saying it. Um, so you're, you're summarizing what they said. They want to explain. They want to be heard. And, and they'll listen to your version because they, they do want to be sure you heard them correctly. So you retain the authority and the power and can then work to empathize with them, get them on your side. Uh, and so they give you a break so you don't have to penalize them. So you're working together. In the book, it talks about controlling the situation rather than letting the situation control you. I think you've heard me talk about that before. In this clip, Mr. Jenkins helps us integrate that into our officiating. It's really important, especially when you're in uniform. That's the great thing about being a referee because you really are like being a cop. Uh, you're in uniform, and so you've got a built-in authority. And so there's dignity in, in simply representing, as I've said, representing the game, representing the rules, representing the fraternity of, of officiating. Um, when you stray from that and let anger take over or, or you match the anger of the coach, all of a sudden, you've lost that authority. Um, you may be wearing the uniform, but you're acting like a civilian. And uh, this is the this is the time where it's important to to maintain control and maintain that dignity and the look of the professional, um, so that you you keep control of the situation. Thank you for that. What are some of your observations? I know you have a, a sports writing background with the way uh, officials are are treated nowadays. Yeah, it's kind of amazing. Um, uh, I, I watch, especially, I watch a lot of uh, sports, professional sports on television, of course, and they have, you know, they should have the best referees uh, and, and officials around, and usually they do. And I, I mentioned what I what I noticed in baseball um, that there just are some some umpires that uh, that will bait the players, um, but then when I watch. Um, kids you know my grandkids or my kids uh, when they played sports um it's amazing how parents and how even kids treat officials um my uh, one of my sons his father-in-law is also a a basketball official and uh, he does lots of games at all kinds of levels he'll he'll do 40 50 games a month um sometimes fourth graders up to to high school and um he said it's just unconscionable how fans and 
coaches. And of course, at that level, the coaches are really amateurs and don't have a clue. Um, but he says it, it takes everything he's got in him to maintain his composure and uh, and keep charge of the game. So um, it's a tough job, and uh, and I think you're on the right track by uh, by really studying verbal judo to to help control the situations. Yeah, I just did a podcast with Brenda Hilton, who started a company called Officially Human, and she is responsible for improving the culture of sportsmanship with regards to officials. So she actually started a company behind it. What do you think are, do you have any idea how we can go about improving this situation? Well, I do think that uh, the, the more referees talk to each other and meet, I don't know how formal um, the associations are and how, how many opportunities you have to get together. But I think that uh, there's always room for training in this and just reminding people because you can get to the point where you can get pretty jaded. You, you do a bunch of games on, uh, on a weekend and uh, you realize you've taken a lot of heat for, for the, you know, the little bit of compensation you get um, and it can make you bitter and, uh, and that doesn't help. Then, you know, if you wind up being like those baseball umpires that bait players or bait coaches, um, so I think it's it's talking with each other and and, uh, and and writing about it, blogging about it, doing podcasts about it. That's that's uh, a really valid uh, effort to try to change the the face of the game. And that's kind of what we're trying to do here is t- take our best shot at it by doing a lot of the things you just mentioned. Yeah, that's great. I, I really applaud your efforts in this. I think it can really uh, make a big difference in sports. Crown Refs Podcast is brought to you by Neat Tucks, the best way to keep your shirt or uniform tucked. If you're looking for that clean, professional look on the court, there's only one way to do it. Log on to NeatTucks.com and order yours today. Neat Tucks and Crown Refs, serving the game. I'm not sure this would add much. I, I did a book with, I've done several books with coaches, you know, with Joe Gibbs and uh, Mike Matheny and people like that. Um, Matheny is the new coach of the Kansas City Royals, and a new manager, and he was a manager of the Cardinals for several years. Um, he was really good on this stuff because he, he uh, actually came to the big leagues. He'd been a catcher, but he became a big league manager from the, the youth league ranks, which is hardly ever, hardly ever happens. But uh, he really taught this stuff um, religiously and, and said... He didn't want to hear from parents about what, you know, why their kid wasn't starting or why he wasn't playing a certain position, that type of thing. Now, he was obviously, he wasn't an official, he was a, a coach, but um, he said, we just have to, to take control again and tell people, this is how it's going to be, and we're not going to stand for, um, for people trying to change the game or be disrespectful. Um, and uh, so there's, there's a real... Um, thirst and appetite for this because he he had a list of things that he thought kids should do and what parents should do and not do and somebody started referring to it as the Matheny Manifesto and that that got tacked up on locker rooms all over the country and and became the title of the book that we do together so um, I think uh, as I say again you're on the right track here
Thank you so much for listening to Verbal Judo Part 1 featuring New York Times best-selling writer Jerry B. Jenkins. Jerry's books have sold over 70 million copies in his illustrious writing career. I hope you picked up a lot of great things that you can go apply immediately into your games, and I would really appreciate it if you could share this podcast with your referee circle. Part 2 is going to feature Verbal Judo instructor and 8-year detective Alex Bromley. Hope you have a great rest of your season. Take care.